one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their career and life journeys. Today on the podcast, we have Jennifer Richmond. She is an executive president of strategy and development at Wood. Before transitioning to Wood, she worked for Jacobs, where she held a variety of leadership roles throughout her 19 years at the firm. We're going to dig into her story, and you're going to hear what made her leave after 19 years to move over to Wood, which is a really exciting uh, piece of her journey. Uh, She is passionate about inclusion and diversity and was the co-chair of Jacobs Women's Network. And in 2020, she was recognized as one of the top 25 executives to watch. She is also a member of the Association of the United States Army and is a certified project management professional. Okay, Jennifer, there's not much you haven't done. Um, and this is like a half of the bio that we had. So we're just extremely impressed and so happy to have you today. Well, I appreciate both of you asking me to come on Flipping the Barrel. It's an amazing podcast and what you're doing um, to bring knowledge to the energy industry and bringing women to the forefront of the energy industry is just amazing. So thank you both for doing that. Thank you, Jennifer. And you know, with such an incredible bio, you always wonder what was life like growing up for Jennifer and what really shaped her to become so successful uh, later on in her life? And so we'd love to ask a question about your childhood and a little bit about your background growing up in Michigan. Uh, I believe you were one of the first of your family to have a college education, which is a huge accomplishment and your family must be so proud. But, you know, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. You faced quite a bit of challenges during your formative years, uh, you know, in school academically. And um, looking back uh, in the 70s and in the 80s, it was there wasn't that much support and struggling students was a scarce thing. You know, it isn't as spoken about maybe as now uh, in terms of support. You know, how did this experience shape you and your perspective and like what valuable lessons uh, teach you, you know, in your younger years? Great question. And in fact, it took me a long time to kind of recognize uh, that everybody learns a little differently. Uh, you know, like you said, the 70s and 80s in school were all about textbook and testing. And, you know, if you were you were great, you got A's and B's. And if you were not a great student, you got C's and D's. And then you were categorized. And um, you were the good students or the bad students. And you were going to be successful or not successful based on your grades. And Nobody really ever paid attention to the things that were challenging individuals. It was just the test of the paper and, you know, you sucked Mm -hmm. it up and life went on. Um, And what I knew is like, as a C and D student, sometimes E to my parents, (laughs) not appreciating that, but, um, but I knew in my head that I was an A, B student. I just, I couldn't get it on paper. And it, it was this blocker for me on, on test taking. And, and ultimately what it, we think it kind of came down to later in life is was a bit of a reading comprehension challenge. Um, I, I actually realized it when my oldest son uh, was going through school, had very similar challenges as me. And that's when it got diagnosed and we got him help. Um, but, you know, it's it, back then it didn't really matter. But I do think that experience actually fueled my ambition for my career and Throughout my career, I've had this, I don't know if you would call it passion or desire to prove to others that I'm smart enough to make it. Uh, You know, I had had the desire and drive to be successful. I just, like I said before, couldn't get that on paper. And so I do believe 
like everything I was kind of doing when I look back is about telling my teachers in school that they were wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I did want to prove to my parents too, um, primarily my dad that I could be successful because they believed in me the whole time. They never gave up on me. Um, and, and so I wanted to prove to them that, Hey, I could get A's in life, uh, mm-hmm. even though I didn't get them in school. And I think when you look back on all of that, and I look at my career today, and I look at being a leader in the industries that we're in, those challenges make you realize that nobody comes to work to do a bad job. Just like I didn't go to school mm-hmm. to do a bad job. And as leaders, we need to make sure we understand and we teach people what's expected of them so they can be successful. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand how they learn, right? So some people may be amazing at textbook and test taking. They get into a project group and they don't do well. And so how do we help them do that? I mean, I'm a hands-on learner and that's, you know, I have to see, feel, touch, sense um, the situation to really learn from it. And I think um, the more that we understand about how our employees learn, uh, the more we get out of them, the more we get out of the team, the more we get for the company. And it creates an amazing work environment and a significantly stronger team. And so I think just to kind of wrap up my answer there, I think a commitment to succeed, you know, driving that grit, determination, and all those qualities, uh, I want everybody to know are just as important as getting that academic result, especially if you grew up as a kid in the 70s and 80s. What I really like about your story is it really talks a lot about being inclusive too, because at the same time, we all have different ways of learning, like you said, Mm -hmm. and we have to build an environment where if you are not great at test taking, that doesn't mean that you can't be as successful as the one that is. And we have to find the ways that we teach those people to do that. And you're a great example of that. And despite your struggles with test taking, you did challenge yourself and you pursued a PMI certification, which from what I've heard is extremely difficult. So that is a a really big pat on the back. Um, This led to a life-changing opportunity for you, which was Mm -hmm. the Y2K project, Um, which I remember when we talked about this, I was so confused about what this project was, Um, but this... This endeavor allowed you to explore different okay. cultures. You went all around the world. And I remember you telling me at the time that like people thought when the 2000s happened, like the world was going to end and like their <laughs> equipment was going to all shut down. And so yeah. this was a like you had a, learned a lot of valuable, valuable lessons during this experience. Can you tell us about how this shaped your like your perspective on life and also what you learned from being immersed in, in that project? Yeah. So Jamie, funny story. After you said, well, I didn't know what Y2K was. I had realized I've been talking to our entire organization about, oh, my best project was Y2K and assumed people knew what it was. <laughs> I <laughs> love that. for making me be more inclusive in my conversations <laughs> and, uh, and sharing with folks what it is. But I'll, I'll give a brief kind of understanding of what Y2K is because it is it was a monumental project back in uh, the late 90s before we went to the to the year 2000. And it was Y2K is shorthand for year 2000. Um, and it was really all about computer programming. Uh, there was a computer programming shortcut that was done and it only had the last two digits of a year. So instead of 1999, it had 99. Instead of 2000, it had double zero. And the result was that all of these um, PLCs, computers, things around the world, everybody was worried that the double zero would go back to like 1900, 1800, whatever that was. And so 
if you think about that from like the banking industry, interest on a bank loan from like 1800, <laughs> that's a significant issue. Uh, but I happened to be working for an automotive uh, firm at the time um, as a consultant with them. And so we worked two years and they were really worried about their supply chain shutting down, getting all the equipment to build cars, all of that uh, not working. And so the best way I can describe it to folks now, thanks to you, is that it's almost the planned COVID of you know, mm-hmm. 2000. Mm-hmm. It was this worry that everything was going to shut down in the world. So, uh, and we were worried too uh, at the time because we thought, oh goodness, if we don't get this done right, the world's going to stop. <laughs> and uh, it was a success. As you all know, it's 2023. So this is great. We made it. Um, but the best part about that project, as you said, is that I got to travel the world. And as a Midwesterner in the U.S., growing up in Michigan, this was the first project, first time really ever I had gone outside the United States. And it was my, it really opened my eyes to what the world was about. I was, you know, my young 20s, I couldn't even rent a car um, in places I went, but it really showed me um, that you have to push yourself beyond your comfort zone and do those things you've never done before. Uh, I was super nervous doing this project. It was my first big project. Uh, and I am way better for doing it and getting out there and exploring. The other thing I learned, like I said, is seeing all those different cultures and the different countries around the world is that you really start to appreciate how people grew up, mm. right? You appreciate who they are, their approach to life, how they view the world, what they were taught, their perspectives for me were incredibly eye-opening. I had a very narrow life experience to that point. And as you grow in your career and your leadership capability, those experiences really broaden your thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, So get past the fears because everybody has them. Um, Everybody's a little bit of self-doubt and go do those things because there's just so much to learn. And the more we learn, the more empathetic we are to people and the more we can help people grow and develop and, and be better. Yeah, you know, we've heard a lot from guests of international experience is truly valuable. And to that exact same point is we may have a narrow view of how thing is because that's how we were raised or that's how what we're used to culture wise. But to your point, you get out and you, you can't believe just we're so different with how even we go to work, what work means for us, how we interact with others. And so I can definitely tell how valuable that uh, was for you. And let's talk about networking. You know, this is something that a lot of women say they struggle with compared to men. Uh, I remember hearing a quote saying men network even in the restroom. I mean, they network all the time, (laughs) golfing, after parties, like you just name it. I don't think I'll do the restroom thing. (laughs) (laughs) They're always networking. They'll have any opportunity and there they are. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of networking and how important that is in your professional life. And that, you know, kind of happened for you. Um, you knew someone from your past experiences and they mentioned an opportunity for you to join the military. And, you know, when you did join the military, you had no prior knowledge of it. It was truly networking with this one person who remembered you. And, you know, when faced with this, did you have any doubts about your capabilities? I can just imagine thinking me going to the army is like, uh, you know, like, can I truly do it? Can a woman do it right? There's all these things running through our minds. Um, can you tell us a little bit about taking calculated risks and kind of like what made you take that big leap into trying that out? 
Yeah, so it was, um, the, the opportunity was actually to be a contractor and support the US military. And so, but the same thing, right? It's going into an environment I have no idea, nothing, no experience with whatsoever. But let's start with the first, the risk piece of that question. Um, because I'm not sure I ever saw anything that was presented to me as a risk. Um, I kind of took everything as an opportunity to learn something different. And to, to be fair, to use a military term, if I didn't succeed, I was just going to fall back into what I knew and what I knew I'd be good at. And so I kind of saw it as, could I learn this? Could I do it? And if it failed, okay, well, I took a, I took a chance and what I learned from it and I'll apply it in my next, next space. Um, and when each of those opportunities came to me, it was just another proof point on my journey that I could be successful, right? So going back to the elementary school and middle school and, and discussions about the school categorized you as a CDE student, um, this was my, like, I did it again, proof point that I could be successful in a different place, a different market, a different environment. And again, that's what I think fundamentally shaped my career was being a little bit more on the edge of, I have to do this to prove I could be a success. Um, and I, I think, you know, people get scared and they don't want to take those risks. There's nothing wrong with taking those and failing. That's where you learn the most. And my perception was that if somebody that I had networked with or had known offered me this job, they obviously saw something in me and whether it was my drive, determination, knowledge, you pick the word, mm -hmm. it was something. And if they were willing to take a chance on me, I was going to be damn sure that I was going to get it right. And there wasn't going to be any regrets. Um, and I was going to learn from it and I was going to do the best that I could in that role. And so, you know, I think all of that ended up paying off for me. Uh, that's how I moved up the, the career ladder with um, Jacobs and other companies. And so I would never consider any of those a risk, but more of an opportunity and, and what can you get from it? But back, and I think I mentioned this a couple of times, back to the question on doubts and uncertainty around taking some of these jumps. I think, as I said before, that everybody has those doubts. So it's whether you do anything new. I mean, I could be going to a new town and you're like, where am I going? Oh my goodness, will my GPS work? Uh, I have a new boss. How do I handle that? I want to try a new sport. Can I win at that? Uh, everybody has a doubt. As simple as those sound compared to your career life, we, we have to remember, as what I said before, is that nobody, your boss, the person that hired you, anybody that's in your career setting, none of those people are setting you up to fail. Hmm. Right. They, they brought you in because they saw something in you and they saw a capability set in you. You may be stretching in that role, but there's potential and take that potential and drive and push yourself to do those uncomfortable things. Because that's, like I said, when you're going to learn the most. What I really like is you mentioned doubt on such a like a small scale where it's like we doubt just the simple things like. What if mm -hmm. I try this drink? Am I going to like it? Like, is it sour? You know, like, those like should I order that and waste the five dollars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and then we when we look at that and then we look at our career, we don't think of it the same way. We don't think that like everybody probably is doubting when they first start. like nobody is 100 percent certain that they're going to be no. successful. And so for you to break it down like that, um, I, I really liked how you how you talked about that. And um, going back to relationships and your career journey, you took a really big bold move. Um, 
and you left a, a billion dollar PL that you were running over at Jacobs, um, 19 years there, uh, because a, a gentleman, Ken, the CEO of Wood at the time, called you. So you want to talk about close relationships and just, um, you know, having that, uh, you know, that connection there. And, and offered you an incredible opportunity. I mean, you couldn't say no. Can you tell us about how pivotal relationships have been in your career journey? Yeah, I think relationships are fundamentally important in everything you do, whether it's your career journey or your personal life. Um, and Ken and I knew each other uh, from our previous company, Jacobs, but we never worked side by side. So this is a little interesting story. In fact, we were on two different halves of the business uh, very different halves of the business, actually, but we were both part of the senior leadership team. So we interacted quite often in those kinds of engagements throughout the years. But through those networking things, what we what we did know about each other. So this was on both sides of the fence when we decided, you know, to make the move, and I decided to make the move to go to Wood, is we knew that our values were were pretty similar um, because we had both worked at Jacobs for so long, and so we knew. Um, how to be humble leaders, compassionate, generous, inspiring, ethical. Uh, we we knew we had to take care of employees and we knew we wanted to create positive workspaces, do all those things that you need to do to run a business uh, financially and, and driven by our customers and our employees. And so regardless of the fact that we didn't work side by side, we knew each other through our previous work relationships and understood what was required to lead a successful organization, both emotionally and intellectually. And that was just through networking at that highest level in the company. So it, so we weren't working side by side day in and day out. And I think what we have to remember is that um, we can't shy away from any conversation that's out there. Uh, you, If somebody wants to talk to you and maybe not in the restroom, but yeah. talk to them because you never know when that conversation could turn into an opportunity, it could be six months, it could be three months, it could be three years down the road. But that impression um, will give you an opportunity to do something that's potentially life-changing, um, like it me. I was given the opportunity to go to Wood. And after 19 years, I tell you what, that was a little bit of a divorce uh, feeling when you walk mm -hmm. away uh, from a company that you've been at that long because you know it so well and you know the people so well. Um, but it was life-changing for me. And that move really allowed me to be myself. And I don't mean that changing myself, but I had 19 years of baggage at my old company. They saw me grow up. They saw the, the teenage years of growing up in your leadership cycle, right? Mm -hmm. So they saw all that awkwardness and goofiness and all that other stuff. And I was really able to let that go and then take all of me to wood, the best parts of me that I am today. And Ken did that for me because of our past and his trust in my leadership capabilities. And really I've been able to learn from him ever since because of my trust in him as a leader as well. Uh, and of course he always pushes me and says that the most important lesson is to always have fun. Uh, Cause if you're not having fun, don't stay. <laughs> and we always have fun. We always have fun as a whole leadership team at wood. You know, it's incredible to think about how one person can sometimes remember you and change your career path. And it's yeah. happened so often that you don't know even how important first impressions are and that elevator pitch that they always talk about yeah. can be very impactful because 
you may stay in someone's mind for, like you mentioned, months and years of this would yeah. be a good goal for this person. Even though, like you mentioned, you hadn't even worked necessarily on the same team. Mm -hmm. It was just more of a, I knew you and was, you know, knew that one day he would bring you along. And so that's a really great uh, story, Jennifer. So let's talk about something uh, that I'm really interested in, which is in 2004, you know, you made a significant life decision when you and your husband moved to St. Louis uh, and both having, you know, successful careers, both of you mm -hmm. working very hard and uh, ambitious. But you both decided to make the choice of, you know, your husband kind of staying home and taking a career break. And, you know, he was fully supportive. He even took a retirement party and <laughs> celebrated that, you know, you were going to keep moving up in corporate. He was fully supportive. Mm -hmm. And so first, let's talk about how important it is to have a successful uh, a supportive partner, which is crucial, um, but mm -hmm. also just how you guys came up with making that decision. And uh, I assume it wasn't an easy decision all the time, right? Uh, you stay home, what are people going to think? It's non-traditional at the, at the end mm -hmm. of the day. So can you bring us back to 2004 and kind of how that decision came up? That's a huge question. Um, <laughs> and I get it a lot. So it's a big question. I get it a lot. Um, and it wasn't an easy decision either for either one of us. And I know anybody who has young kids, um, especially if you're both working parents, there's always this tension, right? Who's going to get who, who's going to get the baby, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. And, and there, that tension um, for us came to a, kind of a point. Uh, and we, we decided that we needed to do something different. Uh, and, and we did have those tough conversations uh, <laughs> and it, over quite some time, actually. Um, but what I, I think you could take away from that is that no matter you know, who you've been with or who you're with, whenever you're making those life-changing decisions, you have to learn to talk to each other. Uh, and, and that sounds really simple, but it's really hard uh, to talk to each other and with each other versus past each other. Mm -hmm. And um, it took us a long time in our marriage. We've been married 24 years. Um, it's taken us a long time to learn to talk to each other. I won't give you dates on when we learned that, but um, it's, it, it's an exercise in constantly working on um, your partnership or your marriage as a full-time job, right? And that that conversation fundamentally changed what we were going to do. And you know, my answer isn't for everybody, uh, but we knew that uh, we wanted to have one of us raise our, our we had one son at the time, Brendan. Uh, we wanted one of us to raise him instead of the nanny that was living in our house every day, day in and day out. And kudos to her, she was brilliant. But at some point when neither of you are home until 10 p.m. at night, you, you start to wonder if, if you're doing the right things. And for us, it was one of us needed to stay home. And at the same time, I did get offered an opportunity to move with my career. And so uh, so we we had that conversation. Uh, Jason's a better person than me. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> see myself stopping work. Uh, he did. He was fine with it. He said, yep, you're right. Your personality probably would not be great at home. Um, but that decision in 2004, you know, that was us um, compromising and figuring out what worked for us. And that partnership ever since then is what makes our, I say our career successful, right? He, I couldn't have my career without him. And so that's a significant part of my, my journey that I've been on. And he's earned a title, and I, whenever I tell people this, they kind of laugh, but we call him household CEO. Uh, <laughs> he runs the house. I come home. I just do what I'm supposed to do and get out of the way um, because he does. He's an amazing father to our three boys. 
Um, we had twins in 2009 and, you know, he just was the guy who helped me get there. Um, my success is our success as a team. And every day that we work at it, um, it gets better. And I owe him for, for all the opportunities that I've gotten. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jennifer. I think a lot of people are going to relate and not only relate to that situation, but also where they're at in their lives. And it's so nice to hear just kind of, you know, somebody like your husband who supports you really taking that role and really owning it. The CEO of the household. Yeah. I love that. Um, you just didn't like the form on the taxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh you know, and going to your children, that was not an easy journey for you either. And this is a topic that is really sensitive and we r really um, feel that it's something that that's not talked about enough. Uh, and right. looking, looking back on your, on your journey, you really conquered infertility um, and you battled a lot of self-doubt due to um, the diagnosis of, of, of infertility, which um, Marcel and I sitting here today can relate to that. Uh, and you know, about the time when everything in your career starts to take off, you land a big PL job. Oh, guess what? You're you are now pregnant with twins. Um, and yeah. that's about the time everything always happens, right? Right when you feel yep. like your career's taking off and you're like, okay, I'm gonna focus on this. Now you have this big challenge, um, carrying twins. And then, you know, deal, dealing with um, you know, being a, a parent of twins uh, is gonna be even more difficult, I could imagine, than than just uh, you know, a single child. So this was a stressful time for you. Um, however, it all ended up working out. But can you share with us how you overcame those infertility challenges and embracing like imperfection during this time and even that self-doubt that you had during that experience? Because it's something that's very different than just doubting your career. I mean, you start to doubt really really initially who you are, because you are now told that you can't have children. Right. I think to your point, um, it's not talked about enough. Um, cause you know, before you even get to the process of IVF, um, you've gone through multiple miscarriages, you've gone through multiple things that make you doubt who you are, your femininity, all those things. Why can't you do what you were made to do? Um, it, all those things are there. Uh, in look, Jason and I knew we wanted more children, um, and we tried for for over three years. Uh, obviously, went through all the stages that you go through when you told you know you're told that they don't know why you're not having children, and and all the different drugs you get on, and all the different procedures, and all of how um, even say this? It's like losing you know any sense of privacy of your personal yeah. self. Mm -hmm. uh, and anybody that's been there knows that. Um, but we finally got to the point, I was 34 years old when we decided uh, that IVF was the next route for us and that we would, we would try that. And like you said, it, I was already exhausted uh, emotionally. Uh, it's all that self-doubt. It's why can't I do what I was born to do? Why can't I be successful here? Going back to my insecurities about being successful as a child, or unsuccessful as a child, I, I felt it here too. And, um, for anyone who's been through it, it's, it's, it's life consuming. It's physical, mm -hmm. it's emotional, it's mentally consuming. It's all you think about and all you do for mm -hmm. three or four years. And many couples never make it through. Right. Um, but we did, but I do have a really distinct memory through the process. Um, we had been told that they were ready to transfer our embryos and um, I remember sitting on the stairs in our home and I said to my husband, um, 
you know, well, how many embryos are we going to put, put back? Where, what are we going to do? And I remembered all of a sudden, all of my emotions came out, mm. you know, the fear, the scariness of it. And I just didn't know if I could do it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Like after all the shots in your stomach, all the exhaustion, all the, the prodding and poking and, and all of that. And I remember sitting there and he said to me, you are going to do this. You're going to do it well. Mm-hmm. And we will put back as many as you think we need to. And I remember sitting there just, and it still makes me cry to this day. That was the pivotal point where we put back two embryos and it doesn't increase your odds to put two back. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but in my, in my mind, that was, okay, we can do this. We can, we can do two. And, um, that helps, right? Like something helps. It, it might get us there. And, um, and we did find out we were pregnant, you know, several weeks later, when you go through that whole process of waiting and they tell you not to take pregnancy tests every day, but we were pregnant. And so here I am, uh, 34 years old and we knew we were pregnant with twins. Nobody knows. And I get offered the job I've wanted since I started. Um, and it, and not only is it a PL job, I was going to be one of the first females in this part of the business to take on a PL job. And I knew I could do it. And so like all this drama was building and in my head, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't do this. Cause I was consumed with protecting the babies and having a pregnancy. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, I have to tell them because they may not want me to take this job because I'm going to have twins and I'm going to be out. And so I remember walking into my boss's office and, uh, and I told him, I said, Hey, I am pregnant. Um, this has taken us three years to get here. And as much as I want this job, if you feel it's not right for me to take it right now, because of my situation, I fully understand it. And when I told him all of that, and he looked at me with this look on his face and he says, and <laughs> just take the job. It's not going to stop you from being a great leader. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can't do the job? I'm like, no, I can do the job. <laughs> I can do the job. But I literally started crying in such relief at that moment because that's when you realize you can have it all, right? I just gotten pregnant. I've been offered the job I wanted. And my boss was okay with the fact that I was pregnant and going to basically be gone in like six months, right? <laughs> um And what it says to everybody out there is if you have the right leaders, the right company, the right culture and values, and of course, Jason is my support system and that drive, you can be the mother and mother and climb the corporate ladder if you want to. But as I've always said, that stuff comes with sacrifice. Um, And the decision is personal for everybody on what those sacrifices are. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to figure out what those are. But now the twins are 13. So that's (laughs) Owen and Cooper. I have boys. And I won't say I didn't make them check the ultrasound twice to make sure there wasn't a girl in there because Brandon is my oldest, but it wasn't. It's all boys, and I'm happy to be uh, the proud mom of three boys. My oldest is 20, by the way. So oh, wow, wow! Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing and just being vulnerable uh, about this. And I'm glad that we're talking about it on this podcast because so many women relate to this. So many women are going through it, and it's such a difficult topic. Because to your point, it consumes your life. That's all you think about. That's all you talk about. You're, you don't, it's just, it, it only if you go through it, you'll understand. You don't even, like even your career, like it, you're just focused on having a child. 
And so thank you for kind of bringing us back through your journey. And I love what you said about you could have it all, but there will be sacrifice. And you chose to still get that job, still show up at work and deliver at the end of the day, the results, because it's a business. So you still have to be a good leader. Absolutely. Um, so on that topic, you know, women, even though more and more women are joining the workforce in the last few years, even more women in STEM, they still end up leaving the workforce at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they don't have those good leaders that are there to support and that are there to change policies and kind of just be more inclusive. To your point, if you would have walked in there and said, I'm having twins, do you think this is a good job? You know what? It's not. How about mm -hmm. you just leave right now, right? that's still happening quite a bit where it's just yep. maybe women face these blocks that depending on the leadership you can keep them and they can keep thriving and look at you you're still you know uh, thriving but it's just kind of adapting organizations to really empower women and help them and support them in what is needed because we do have a different journey it's we, we all know it is a different journey and so yeah. can you tell us a little bit you as a leader how are you creating that inclusive environment to make women feel more valued and empowered in your organization i love this question um by the way because i think it's really important and for me it really starts with getting to know people first and foremost uh a colleague shared a story with me just recently that totally caught me up off guard. And so I'm going to share it with you all because I thought it was so great. Um, what she told me is that, uh, you know, my appointment to Wood, she'd seen the announcements that had come out. And so, so naturally in preparation, she knew she was going to report to me in preparation for, for working with me. She did all her research, you know, went out there uh, as you read my bio, right. It sounds super impressive and all these <laughs> kinds of things. And, you know, she saw that I worked with the Department of Defense and she thought, oh, my gosh, she's going to be like militant. She's going to be black and white. And and so then she she wanted to prepare for all that. So she said she went on to to prepare accordingly. And she'd gotten all this list, these lists about her career, her successes, her priorities. And then we had our first call and she was completely unarmed in our first <laughs> Because all I wanted to know about her was her. Like, tell me about yourself, your home, your life, your family, your interests. And like, I, to be, I was totally struck and taken off guard when she told me the story. I said, because I don't even remember this, right? And she said, well, you know, look, it's that moment made me feel incredibly more comfortable in that session and getting all you want to do is get to know me. She said, no, I was frustrated because I had this huge, awesome list I wanted to share with you. But, <laughs> you know, it, she she's an amazing woman, by the way. And I know you guys know her, so I won't give her up. But um, I didn't go into that purposefully with her because you need to get to know people. You need to get to know what is a priority to them. And that in turn creates that environment where people can thrive and they get when you when you get to know them and get to know what makes them tick, it makes them feel more included in the conversations and valued, right? Regard and this this is for both men and women, right? Regardless of gender, um, I think anybody that you're bringing in, uh, you have to have those conversations, which is why for me it's so important just getting to know the person. Um, it, but I was thrown, I was just thrown, taken aback by that whole conversation with her. And I was like, I don't really remember that conversation, but I'm glad it had an impression on you. Um, 
but like I said, it's not just women who face this, uh, but it is about bringing more women into markets and environments where they don't see examples of other women in senior roles. Um, and when you see examples of women in senior roles, you feel more empowered to come back. Like you can do this. Mm -hmm. um, you can come back into the workforce and especially when it's a really male dominated workforce um, like ours, like energy. And, and even where I worked before, it was very male dominated. And men have, I said this to somebody the other day, I said men have a lot of examples at the top because men get promoted on potential and women get promoted on proof. Hmm. So it's one of the reasons why women don't see as many women at the top and they don't have as many women to look up to. And it's because of that nuance um, that they're not looking at women's potential as much as they are looking at the proof of what we have done in our careers. And so because of this and because of my ability to be at this level and would, um, it's my role as a leader and any other leader, I think any other female leader to create that environment and create that culture and create um, a space for people to feel valued um, and where they want to come back to work and where they really want to contribute to a really sometimes tough environment. And I mentor women. Um, we all support women. Uh, we promote women and we need to sponsor them more and more and pay that all forward. Um, just like that one uh, mentor of mine helped me way back in the day and I need to pay that forward. And that's a true responsibility of every female leader in the world. Wow, Jennifer, I I mean, what you said is exactly, I mean, the way that you describe the women have to, they, they get chosen off proof. It just made me think like how com that's completely accurate. And then when we've had people on the podcast and they've said somebody that they've mentored or a woman that has been successful, they always say, well, I took a chance on her. You never hear about a guy. Oh, I took a chance on him. Right. They're always given the opportunity off of potential. And right. then for women, it's, well, I took a chance on her. I took a chance. I take a chance on women. There's mm -hmm. no chance. We should just, it, no should just, it should just be, we are given the role because there's potential. Absolutely. Um, and so you really highlighted something that just like clicked for me when you said it. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. And you know, what we want to end with the podcast today is on um, the perspective of perfection, because mm -hmm. if looking at you um, without knowing your journey, I bet you a lot of people would think she has it all together. Her husband does everything for her at home. She probably had kids so easily. Look how cute her twins are. I mean, nobody really knows, right? Um, right. And listening to your story, I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices you faced along your journey. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of moments that you completely doubted if you would ever become a mother. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not until we do these, we have these honest conversations and we talk about this openly that there is sacrifices that you make through life. And there is times where you have to make these big decisions. Um, and this is for everyone. Uh, so can you talk to us about you know, what that means for you and addressing the imperfections and the sacrifices and how we can be more open about this so that we can empower more women to understand that you don't have to all to have it all together. And it's, and it's not going to be perfect. And actually not being perfect is really actually perfect because that's how it should be. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, right, exactly. I, um, I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, I made myself a promise when I joined Wood's executive leadership team um, that I would be myself imperfections and all. Right. And, uh, 
I, there is that perception out there that we have our stuff together all the time at the executive uh, level. And um, I can tell you there's been many a times I've driven home from work crying in the car, or not feeling great. And I've missed, you know, kids sports and all those kinds of things. Um, and sometimes I do think it's an expectation that's put on us to be perfect uh, as well. And I am far from the perfect side of the executive leadership ranks. Uh, but I think when I look back, leadership for me, and especially in our industry, is all about people and connection, like I said before. And the one thing that can unite everybody is not perfection. It's the reality of life. And when we learn to embrace um, who we are, and when I learn to embrace myself, which is all my flailing hands, and when I say right a lot, um, and have not realizing I didn't have all the answers, and that's okay, I started to feel more comfortable around me. Right. And I felt more comfortable. And then I was able to talk openly and honestly about me, my career, my struggles, um, my successes. Right. Because we also often don't take credit for our successes as women. Um, and I learned to talk from the rooftops about it. But those real connections matter with people. And that honesty and that openness creates it because everybody thinks of your LinkedIn profile or your company's website profile. It's not who you are at the end of the day, you're just a leader, you're just a human, and you'll never be a great leader if people don't follow you and believe in you and can connect with you and understand you. And so those are the things that I think are really important as a leadership team that you have to do um, and break away that perfection. Like I said, we've all made sacrifices. I've shared some of mine with you. Um, you know, I'm not great at life. My husband fixes the life behind me. That's a partnership. Um, you know, we've been married 24 years. It's work. Anybody who's been married any amount of time knows there's struggles there too. That is a sacrifice you have to work on. It's a commitment. Um, but ultimately nothing comes without sacrifices and choices. You just have to figure out which ones work for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think those, those hard choices, those difficult conversations, the challenging things are where I believers have, I believe leaders have to excel. Um, we always have to create an open and honest and safe place to be able to talk about the really challenging things. And if you don't create that, you won't get to the root of the problems and you won't help other people grow. And our job as leaders is to always have a couple people ready to follow us and fill in our roles and we have to grow them. And to just kind of wrap it up, I will just tell you all, I live in a world of imperfection and failures. <laughs> I fail fast and often. And uh, that is where I learn. And when I look back, I've always kind of come out better for it. Jennifer, I, I couldn't ask for a better ending to summarize your episode. Um, your apps, I mean, the amount of advice and just reality that you have shown in the podcast, it has inspired me just listening to you again. I remember when we first met, I I told Maciel, I was like, you, I cannot wait for you to hear Jennifer's story. She's absolutely <laughs> incredible and unique in every way. And oh, I, feel, I, I just feel like you bring such a, a breath of fresh air to the leadership at Wood and just to the leadership and energy. And we're just so happy that you were able to spend this time with us. And so thank you so much for sharing your story and being so vulnerable today on the podcast. Thank you, Vasiel. Thank you, Jamie. You both are doing an amazing job. Keep going. Keep going. Thank, thank you. you so much, and if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment. We love to hear from you and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.